So we come to our final week in the book of Ephesians, and I must admit I have some mixed emotions. Um, after five or six months, a lot of us are probably feeling like it's about time. Um, but I'm one of those that's ready to go back at the beginning and start again, because it's um, one of my favorite books and it's been so rich. Um, we've been talking about throughout how the first kind of few chapters of the book talk about the unsurpassable love of God for us. And then the second half of the book, the back kind of last few chapters, speak of the shape of our love for God and for one another. And Paul now, after having gone through this, this massive territory, I mean, it's like he's brought us to the heights of, of the Swiss Alps and let us see the majestic view of grace and glory from there. He now gets really personal and even vulnerable in tone in his final words with, with people. Uh, I want to include two verses that come right before, actually, our scripture reading, because there Paul asks for prayer, not only for the church, but for himself personally. And then in verses 21 and 22, he sends his companion, his co-laborer in the gospel, Tychicus, to share with the Ephesians how he's doing and what he's up to. And then in verses 23 and 24, he speaks a word of blessing. So Paul's magisterial letter ends with... Uh, a request for personal prayer, ascending of personal presence, and word of personal peace. So we're going to talk about those, those three things. And I was just thinking to myself, I said, you know, there's been a lot of change and transition in our nation in the last couple years, right? There's been a lot of shaking up in the church, right? And, and change there as well. What's, what's going to mark the church in the 21st century? When we're centuries down the line from here, if the Lord doesn't return before then, and there are history books written about the church in this season, what will people say marked the church in this season? And I was just thinking, how wonderful would it be if it was prayer, presence, and peace? So let's jump into it with prayer. Paul himself asks for prayer. He says in verse 18 of chapter 6, which we don't have in our bulletins, but if you have a Bible, uh, Paul encourages all followers of Jesus to pray without ceasing. He says, pray at all times. The implication is every moment is holy. And pray in the Spirit, he says, practicing the presence of the Lord in all things. And as you cultivate this, this praying way of life, please remember to pray for two things. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for the church. And then pray for me also, your shepherd under Christ. And so one of the questions that just comes to me is like, am I a person who is praying for my church? And am I a person who's praying for the shepherds that God has placed in the community of his people? Am I interceding for them? I hope Alan Fadling doesn't mind me sharing because you shared it publicly in our uh, adult formation class a couple weeks ago. He said that every morning he he prays for our Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America. He prays for our Bishop Todd. And then he prays for me. And that was something that just struck me. I was like, every morning, Alan prays for me. And the rich gift that that is. Um, every uh, Sunday morning, I get a text message from my mother, of all people, right? Your mother, by God's grace, she's still my biggest fan. Uh, but she knows all my sins and fears and foibles. And um, every morning on, on Sunday morning, she knows that I'm going to be doubting myself immensely, <laughs> that the Lord has actually spoken to me and given me a word for the people of God. And so she texts me and says, Jordan, 
I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for Holy Trinity Church, and I'm trusting that, that the Lord is going to speak to everybody. And so just this, it, it just strikes me as so amazing that Paul, at the end of this, kind of humbles himself and gets vulnerable with those to whom he's writing and encouraging in the gospel. And he says, would you, would you pray for me too? Because I need it. And in particular, Paul points to this word boldness. He says, what is it in particular that I need? I mean, all of us, if we read Paul's letters, we think boldness is the one thing Paul has. And yet that's what Paul prays for. Remember, he's in chains. Like when things get difficult, when you know that speaking is going to cost you something, what's the thing that goes away? It's confidence. <laughs> it's courage. It's boldness. Now, there are ways of being confident and courageous and bold that are not loving and gentle and gracious, but, but here Paul feels the need for boldness. So he says in uh, verses 19, he says, pray for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul asks for a boldness to share the gospel. And so I just want to say to you, Holy Trinity, really briefly, and, and I think I can probably speak for every shepherd and clergy person in Holy Trinity as well, we covet your prayers. Um, we pray for you, and we long for you to pray for us, so that as one whole body, we are a community that is interceding on each other's behalf. Asking that the, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ be poured into our hearts. Asking that, that every aspect of our community life would not just be something that's rote, but something that brings us deeper into communion with Christ and deeper in sync with his gospel and his kingdom. And so I just ask for you to pray for us in that as we pray for you. Paul asked for prayer first, but then he, he wants more than just prayer. He wants personal presence. And remember, Paul here, if he could, he would have loved to have visited the church, the churches in and around Ephesus. But Paul's in chains. He can't go anywhere. So what does he do, as he often does? He sends somebody who's a close companion, who shares his heart for the church in a particular place or has been a part of his ministering to a people in a particular place. And he says, I'm going to send them instead because they're free to go. And I'm going to ask them to encourage you in the Lord. I'm going to ask them to share how I'm doing. I'm going to ask them to explain what sort of ministry we're involved in. And so we see this in verse 21 and 22. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. I love the way that um, the late kind of British evangelical John Stott put it. He said, prayer, correspondence, and visits are still three major means by which Christians and the church can build each other up and enrich each other in the Lord. Prayer, correspondence, and visits. I'm starkly aware that, you know, I came to Holy Trinity about six months before COVID hit. Um, and I think one of the biggest losses for me in this season, and this is a loss that isn't just for me, it's like one I've heard over and over again from people, is like, I never got to know you, really. And, and you never got to know me, really. 
kind of in normal circumstances to some extent, right? And so there's this feeling of a relational loss. I was just at the beach yesterday with somebody um, down in Carlsbad, my first time there. It was beautiful. And, and I was talking with somebody who was just saying, was recounting to me, um, yeah, there has been a lot of relational loss in this season. There have been friendships that I so treasured that, that now are such sources of kind of pain and grief in a lot of ways. And one of the things I've been thinking about kind of coming out of the season is, you know, I think as a body, as a body of Christ throughout the world, but, but here, there's a way in which our relational sinews and muscles have become a little atrophied. Um, and, and there's something that I find so lovely about this because I often think like, how do, you, how do you build relationships with people and how do you develop a community that really wants to pour into each other and connect? And, and it can become this really complicated thing. And then I'm just reading Paul and Paul's just saying, pray for me. <laughs> and he's just writing a message to people. And then he's sending a friend to visit. And it struck me the simplicity of that. Like, how can I be an encouragement to the body of Christ in this season? For whom is God inviting me to pray? To whom is God inviting me to write? Who is God inviting me to visit or send somebody to visit? I'm struck by the fact that in this, Paul wants to connect personally with his congregation. And so as I was reflecting on this passage, I sensed the Lord inviting me to share maybe a little bit more personally than I normally like to do in sermons. <laughs> um, to let you know how I'm doing and what the Lord is doing in my life in hopes that maybe that would actually speak to you and encourage you in some way, because that's precisely what Paul was on about here. So I'll be a little more vulnerable than normal. About four months ago, I went on holiday for a few weeks, and I know it's a privilege to go on holiday for a few weeks. So thank you to those who made that possible. And one thing that I've been noticing in my own soul is that there was an accumulated spiritual clutter and emotional baggage because of the previous 18 months. <laughs> it's like so much had happened, it just layered up, and eventually you're kind of looking at your own soul going, whoa, there is just a lot there. And, and I got to process that somehow, you know, so I, I was asking myself, Lord, how do I process this? And there are just two things you put on my heart, Psalms and canoes, Psalms and canoes, like spend time in the Psalms because they're going to help you learn how to pray through your emotions and hit that from all angles and be really honest with the Lord for uh, where you're at, you know, so, so five Psalms a day, at least just immerse yourself in the Psalms and give yourself space. And then get, get in a canoe and get on the water every opportunity you can. So about two of the three weeks, I was able to get on the water every day. And, and, and that was profound. And the question I kept asking is like, Lord, what do I need to receive from you in this space? What do I need to receive in order to be healed? What, what do I need to receive in order to be faithful in the relationships that you've given me? What do I need to receive in order to be a, re a redemptive presence to Holy Trinity? And, and I didn't have a ton of answers. I mean, the Lord just said to me, probably me. Um, and that's about all he gave me. And so I came out of that season going, well, Lord, like, what does it concretely look like? What is it imaginatively? How, what is it going to mean to receive you? 
And in the few months since then, there have been three images that I want to share with you that, that the Lord has given me. The, the first is the image of a hazelnut. The second is the image of a grapevine. And the third is an image of a morning conversation. And, and the hazelnut was given to me by my dear wife, Susie. She came to me about five or six weeks ago, and, and she gave me this little hazelnut. And she put it in my hands and, and said, I want you to carry this in your pocket. Now, I actually forgot it today. I had to ask Susie to bring it to me. So, <laughs> so it doesn't always work perfectly. But she said, I want you to carry this in your pocket. And whenever you start feeling anxious or overwhelmed by the happenings of the world, I want you to hold this in the palm of your hand. <clears throat> and she reminded me of a scene, a little snippet from um, Julian of Norwich, who was a 14th century kind of English mystic. And in her, her book, Revelations of Divine Love, she was wrestling with this question, like, how is it that not all people are saved? And she was looking at the complexities and, and the brokenness of the world, and she was finding herself overwhelmed and anxious by all of it. And she recounts getting this vision of a hazelnut in the palm of a hand. And, and God showing her that the world is like that hazelnut in the palm of his hand. And these words came to her, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And so this little act of remembering, carrying it around in my pocket, gives me this shift of perspective from like, what it, where is the Lord in all this to like, actually, where am I in the Lord's hand? Where is the world in the Lord's hand? And it helps me see again the world through the eyes of the revelation of divine love. The second image is a grapevine. I, was, uh, I, I like grapevines because I grew up in Northern California, quite near Napa Valley, and my mother has lots of Italian blood. We like red wine. And so I'm familiar with the imagery of that. And I was talking to a friend a couple months ago and just just talking about what the season has meant for so many people. And he reminded me of a key aspect of making good wine. He said, when you plant the vines in the first few years of planting them, you have to make sure to stress the vines intentionally, meaning you withhold giving them all the water that they want so that they have to grow deeper roots through rocky soil to tap into really deep water resources much further down than they would if you didn't stress them. And he said, and this has two long-term effects on the vine. The first is that when drought comes in the future, that vine is going to have roots that are deep enough that it's going to be able to sustain continuing to produce fruit when drought comes. It won't die. And the second thing is the fruit that that vine produces will be more mature and it will be more flavorful because the water and the nutrients down below are much richer. And, and he just said to me, he said, I, I, I just wonder if that's, if that's part of what this season is about for so many of us. It's, it's in the midst of a situation that feels stressful because so much is outside of our control. The Lord is sitting there and he's inviting us. And he said, this is a moment to grow deeper roots. This is a moment to grow deeper roots into the life of God into what it actually means to live in the rhythm of his grace in practical ways. And what it means to live life with other people and for the sake of others. 
So a hazelnut, a grapevine, and the third and final is a morning conversation. And this came a few, a few months ago. We were in a clergy meeting. So some of you here were in it for churches for the sake of others. And there's this woman named Mary Kate Morris, who's kind of a guru in spiritual formation and leadership realms. Um, and she, uh, she was talking about daily spiritual exercises that she's been doing in the season of COVID that have helped keep her grounded in the grace of God. And she said when she was on a walk one morning, it was a particularly difficult season at work. Bill just gave a, a adult discipleship kind of talk on work. And, and she was saying, this is a particularly difficult season at work. And she said, while I was on this walk, I, I sensed the Lord asking me five questions. Mary, did I call you into this job? <laughs> yes, Lord. Can you do this job with my help? Have I equipped you to do this job? Yes, Lord. Do you want to do this job, Mary? No, not really, Lord. <laughs> will you do this job, Mary? Yes, I will. But here's the key question, fifth. Will you do this job? as worship unto me. Yes, Lord. Yes. And she encouraged this, and this is something I've been doing every morning, is getting on my knees before I open the computer and view email or crack open a book to study or, or look at my schedule for the day, is, is, go, is go through this conversation with God of questions. And what it does is it reorients my heart so that I see whatever the Lord's given me for that day is now to be done as an act of worship unto him. And it's amazing the joy that actually comes when you realize that you're worshiping. And so those are just some of the things that I, I want to share with you at a personal level that, that the Lord is working in my own life. And, and I assume that some of them will resonate with some of your hearts somewhere and spark your imagination and encourage you. Paul, having spoken of the depths of God's love, he asks people to pray for him. He then wants to share personally with them. And then third and finally, he wants to speak words of peace over them. And so the final two verses of the whole book, verse 23, peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. It's peace and grace, grace and peace. Those two words that Paul used at the beginning of the book and have set the tone for the whole book throughout. Um, those words that showed up in Ephesians chapter two when Paul said, we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God showed us the immeasurable riches of his grace in Christ Jesus, making us alive again with him. By grace, you have been saved. And then Paul says, there was a dividing wall of hostility that separated Jews from Gentiles. And, and Christ came by the blood of his cross, and he made peace by tearing down that dividing wall of hostility and bringing us together in one body, one new humanity. He himself is our peace. And so throughout the whole book, there has been this word peace and grace that has been spoken over the world and over the people of God. And now at the very end, Paul adds to peace and grace the word love. Love. Love with faith and grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. 
And here Paul pulls together the two halves of the whole book into a single thread. Because the first thing, love is described in verse 23 as a gift from God that we receive. That's the first three chapters of the book, God's unsurpassable love for us. And then love in verse 24 is described as our response to Christ, our love for Christ himself. And that's the summarization of all of chapters 4 through 6, are the shape of our love for God and for one another. And so here at the very end, Paul is pulling together all the threads of what he has talked about, and he is speaking it as a blessing and as a word of peace and grace over the people of God. And one of the things that I love about Paul here is that he starts with the order that he has throughout the whole book. It's God's love given to us, and then it's our love to God in response and to one another. And so at the very end of the book, it's as if Paul is drawing us once again right into the heart of the gospel, where he is saying to us, what is required of believers is already given to them by their God. What is required of believers is already given to them by their God. Paul says, walk in love in chapter 4. Paul says, speak the truth in love in chapter 4. Paul says, bear with one another in love in chapter 4. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church in chapter 5. Paul says, brothers and sisters, you are part of one body. Do whatever you can to build yourself up in love, chapter 4. But before he ever says any of those things, makes a single command or exhortation, he says to them in chapter 1, in love God predestined us for adoption. He says in chapter 2 that it's because of the greatness of his love for us that he made us alive with Christ. And he says in chapter 3, he prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love and know the surpassing love of Christ in our hearts. Paul is saying that what is required of believers is already given to them by God. So at the very end of this magisterial and challenging and convicting letter, Paul wants us to come away with the gospel. And he come, wants us to come away with a really simple question, a question that's core for every human life. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I mean, I almost feel silly as a preacher even asking that question because people are, you know, at least at a church like this, are kind of like, well, what else are we doing here if not for that? But that's kind of the question we come away with. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus reveals himself to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 and 2, and there are those seven, seven letters, seven messages that Jesus wants John to write to particular churches in the ancient world. The first one is to the church in Ephesus. And he praises that church in Ephesus, and he says, you have been steadfast. You have, hung, uh, you have hung in there in the midst of trial and tribulation. You have been faithful, but this one thing I have against you. Have you abandoned your first love? Have you abandoned your first love? And Peter, after he betrayed Jesus, and Jesus invites him to, to, to the fire on the beach, and he's cooking breakfast for him, what is the one question that, that Jesus has for Peter? After all that's transpired, after all that's happened between them, he just says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? 
do you love me? I sense that maybe for some of us in this season, amidst all the change and the loss and the turmoil, maybe some of our hearts have cooled. <laughs> maybe some of our loves have been tempered. Maybe we've been distracted in some ways from our first love. Can you hear Jesus calling to you again from the warmth and the light of that morning fire on a fresh resurrection dawn? Can you hear him calling to you again? No guilt, no shame in his voice. Just the call of love. Just the sound of forgiveness. Just the food of friendship again. Will you come to that fire? Will you receive again what it is that he wants to give you? Will you love the Messiah as he invites you to love him as he's loved you? I just want to give you a moment of silence to actually sit with that. <laughs> what is it that the Lord is inviting you into around that fire? How is he calling you back to your first love? Lord Jesus, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. So Lord, take our hearts, take and seal them for your courts above. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And would you help us now to love you in return? In your holy name, amen.